You're listening to Ice Cream with Investors, a podcast that is dedicated to teaching you how to better invest your money so that you can live a more intentional life. I'm your host, Matt Four, and it is my goal to teach and empower you to remove the roadblocks to your financial success. All right, welcome back to the show. Today we have on our guest, Adam Carswell. Adam is a true international man of mystery and is currently residing in St. John's, Newfoundland, Canada, which makes him our first international investor. And I'm gonna try to capture half of what Adam does here, but Adam is a LinkedIn power networker, new media marketing maverick, and he is the voice of liberty because of his work hosting the Lieberland podcast show, a show dedicated to a country He co-founded, and Adam is also a co-founder of the Next Level Mastermind Group, host of the Chicago Blockchain Real Estate Club, educational product director at ASIM Capital with Hunter Thompson. And if that wasn't enough, he is also the investor relations manager for Liberty Real Estate Fund, which is, to my knowledge, the only single tenant, triple net lease, blockchain real estate fund out there on the market today. Because of this, we have a lot to learn from Adam. So I'm going to stop talking and just say, Adam, welcome to the show. Matt, honor to be here. So many things that you did preparing for this call as far as questions and, and things that you just mentioned that I'm really energized to talk about because it's a big part of my life and who I am. So fantastic work coming into this and looking forward to the interview. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, before we get to the real work, we'd like to start with the hard questions here. What's your favorite ice cream? Yeah. So my favorite has always been mint chocolate chip, but you know what? I was just in a clubhouse before this. So I had one scheduled with some other individuals. And then after I was done, I hopped into one with just my buddies. And I was like, Hey guys, I'm about to go on a podcast called ice cream with investors. I got to get some ice cream. So I, I got dairy queen on DoorDash and I was like, what should I get? And both of my friends, their name are Brandon, Brandon and Brandon said I should get the Reese's blizzard from dairy queen. So here you go. I don't know how many guests you had get <laughs> ice cream before, but had to do it. When COVID is all over, that is my dream, that we would be sitting in person together in St. John's, eating ice cream together, having this conversation. So you just beat me to the punch. And that's why you are the true dream chaser, because you're teaching me how to achieve my dreams. So tell our listeners, what's the scoop? What do you do today? I had a meeting earlier today, not too long ago with Michael Flight, who that's who I work with at Liberty Real Estate Fund. I guess we can kind of dive into that first here. So Michael and I work a lot on our marketing strategy. For example, we've got a webinar coming up as well called Netlease Secrets, probably already be live by the time this interview goes out. I'm sure if you go on YouTube and you type in Netlease Secrets, Liberty Real Estate Fund, you can catch the replay there. We're really just providing as much education to our investor base and our network on single tenant, triple net lease properties, especially just looking at you know the time that we're living in right now. It's an asset class that actually has one of the highest vacancy ratings you'll find. And that's because a lot of the, well, the only assets that we're investing in are the essential ones. So automotive, you know, quick service restaurants, fast food, pharmacies, you know, <laughs> McDonald's, any freestanding retail asset that you can think of. We have a portfolio, the Liberty Real Estate Fund, which is actually, there's, we're about to do a raise for it here very soon. Again, not sure exactly when we'll go live here, but for the record, the fund will be open on schedule by end of February. So Michael's more than one to talk about that, but I'm, you know, I'm the marketing guy. So I'm letting you know that's what's going on. And if you want to know more, you can always reach out. Awesome. Awesome. I've heard you say in the past that, hey, everything in real estate and in the economy is cyclical. Obviously, right now with everything going on in COVID and all that sort of stuff, the retail is on the way down. But that is the perfect time to go in and grab some of those assets because we know that it'll bounce back sooner or later, maybe just in a different form. So to be the master of that when it bounced back will put you in a great position there. Yeah. 
Exactly. To highlight, I think that's the one part of retail that everyone's kind of forgetting and not realizing. We'll just, you know, stick with like the McDonald's, for example. They haven't really skipped a beat. <laughs> um, if anything, a lot of those those smaller, like again, quick service restaurants, some of their traffic has actually gone up because people who are trying to save money during these, you know, hard times that would used to go to Applebee's or Longhorns or you know Fridays or places like that, they've kind of taken a step back. So it's really interesting to see how the essential retail assets actually are doing quite fine more than most would think. 100%. And if there's one thing essential in my life, it's the unicorn frappuccino from Starbucks. So I I see it and I feel (laughs) it. You actually have a very interesting backstory from a college career and then going to do some international basketball internationally. I kind of want you to tell our listeners a little bit about some of that history because I think you have an interesting story there. Thank you. Athletics have been a big part of my life. And you know, as you get further away from your glory days, you still have moments that stick with you that help you I think professionally, there's been a lot of moments of perseverance. I look back that I'm like, hey, you know, I think I learned this when I was running track or playing basketball. Track was a big part of my background too, but we'll talk basketball. I even put this on here today. So anyone who's watching the video version, <laughs> Galen University is the school in Belize that I went to to get my master's. And while getting my MBA there, I actually, long story short, ended up becoming the head coach of Galen University at age 23. That was my dream job at the time. The reason why I was getting my master's in the first place, again, long story short, was because anyone who's an NCAA coach, for the most part, it's a prerequisite now to have your master's degree. And normally you'll see like, you know, thought leadership or sports psychology or something like that. But I just knew like, you know, get the master's, that'll be one step closer to becoming a head coach. And little did I know that (laughs) while getting mine, I would become one I had a lot of success there. We won two national championships and then just had an epiphany moment where I realized, you know, I I was looking at my friends in the NCAA who were coaching and they were, you know, still my demographic, my age, and they were just working insane hours for no money. And even when you become a head coach, like you got to win, like there's a lot of pressure on your job now. Obviously, I don't mind head pressure, but just certain things that helped me realize, you know what, I think I actually enjoy leadership and coaching even more than I like basketball. Because I would get into the, some of these circles sometimes too with other guys who are coaches my age and they'd be talking like X, Y, Z and just all these tactics about basketball that even as a player, I never even cared or considered. And I'm like, dude, I don't know if I'm really <laughs> as into it as these guys. So made a pivot and we can get, we can kind of talk about that pivot here. But you know, I definitely kind of skipped over a few things there too. So I don't know if you, what your follow-up question would be. <laughs> I want to ask a quick question on that. So first of all, I went and got my master's in sport administration as well. I thought I wanted to be a head football coach. During that, I coached for three or four years at a local high school. And um, I mean, it was a great school. They churned out D1 athletes all the time. Like I learned a lot from the head coach and from former Tennessee Titans players that were coaching there as well. But that was the year that I went to the University of Tennessee and Philip Fulmer got let go for two out of three bad seasons. And that doesn't sound like much because of the pedigree we put those guys on. He had spent 33 years at that university as a player, student, grad assistant, assistant, all the way to head coach. He had two losing seasons his entire 30-some year career, and he got let go. And that's when it kind of struck me that, hey, to move up in this industry, you're either going to have to move or miss out on a bunch of family time. And people don't realize, like, there's somebody there that's working 80 hours a week. And if you're not willing to work 82, then they're always going to have that job. I want to touch on you're 23 years old, coaching people that you used to be a player with the year before. One of the things I'm super interested in is leadership and leadership skills. How did you walk into that knowing that you were these guys peers before playing on the court with them to now coaching them? Can we gain any kind of best practices from that? 
Yeah, thanks for helping me revisit this too, because I think I need to kind of look back and assess how I handled the situation. Because yeah, it's like went from all these guys being my teammates, some of them being older than me at the time. Because I had a couple of teammates that were also in grad school. They're at least a year older than me. You know, you have to be strategic because you go from, you know, just being completely honest, you go from going out and partying with these guys and just, you know, talking to them however you want to having to really be an authority figure. And so there was definitely a goofy point in there. But looking back on it, I think this is what helped from the beginning of the school year, because that's when we kind of had our first meeting as a team. I put in a very, very, very strong emphasis on the power of education and how important it was that everyone needed to have good grades so that we could have all of our players. Because the year before, when I was playing, we did have some guys that couldn't play because of grades. And so looking back on it, I just remember having those first meetings as a team. It was all about how are we going to make sure that everyone is good when it comes to school. And I think because I was in grad school, because I knew that I could at least hold myself accountable and get, get good grades. And I had the authority to, to kind of put that on everyone else. And then I did have my two, you could basically say classmates, guys who I was going to in, in grad school with there, who were also teammates. And I had more one-on-one -on -one personal connections with them. And I was kind of like, hey guys, like, I know you're older than me. I know you've been here longer than me. I'm coach now. So like, just be here to help me. And they were both very good, low-key assistant coaches. <laughs> so that's really looking back on it, how I handled it. Never thought of it. So the key takeaway is that if you enter into a new environment as an authority, if you can find a way to tie some form of education to why you know what you're talking about, then that could help you. Yeah, I know in my W-2 work, whenever I walk in the room, I'm usually the youngest person in the room by 10 years, at least from a leadership standpoint. And the way I always try to approach that situation is like both of us are on the same team. Both of us are trying to accomplish different things. Both of us have different responsibilities in how we accomplish those things. And so when you show that, hey, you're humble and you're willing to learn and you'll roll up your sleeves and be in it with them, then you're more likely to get that street credibility than 1950s, 1980s leadership of I'm the big stick and you're the whipping boy and we all need to fall in line to my guidance and things like that. That might have been successful in the past. I don't think it is today. So switching gears, you go from playing basketball in the northern United States down to Belize and now you're a head coach, national champion, to now you end up in real estate. How did that transition happen? After graduating in Belize, I kind of had an option. I could either have stayed there and kept on coaching, but the real challenge that I was, well, two things. One, I do think I was getting a little bit homesick, but then on top of that, I realized like the money I was making as a coach would have been great if I had you know no debt, no student loans, like nothing to worry about, but I did from Westminster, which is where I went to school in the US. So I just kind of re, like, went through it. And I'm like, you know what? I want to get a job with a Fortune 500 company, work my way up the ladder, and just kind of see where we can go from there. That's what happened. I started applying LinkedIn back. I was been a LinkedIn junkie since 2014. <laughs> and so I started applying, reaching out to people that I knew, met someone on there who went to Westminster, but graduated like a year or two before me. She was a recruiter for Sherwin-Williams in the Washington, D.C. area. I remember, you know, it's cool. Like they flew me out for an interview, like all kinds of things that just from an interview perspective had never been through before. I felt like they really rolled the red carpet out. I was like, cool, you know what? We got the connections here. Sherwin-Williams, it's a good company, good reputation. Let's do it. So I managed stores for them in the Washington, D.C. area for a couple of years. But then after a while, I started to notice a few things like there is a little bit of a ceiling. People that I really look up to and admire and still do to this day because they played a huge role in my life. They were still working, you know, 80 hour weeks. And it's kind of like, when does that end? I feel like there could be another way you can go with life where you don't have to be 
doing it that way. And I'll be honest, like in Cleveland, where Sherman Williams is actually headquartered, a lot of people were confused when I would tell them that I'm from Cleveland, but I was working for Sherman Williams in Washington, D.C. They're like, wait, you just came from where the headquarters are to work here? In Cleveland, I think the company has like a stellar reputation. But in Washington, D.C., you meet people and it's like, okay, cool. Like have fun at the paint store. I got to get back to my job over on Capitol Hill. Like that's just like the mindset there. And so after a while, it does get a little bit demeaning, especially when you have your master's degree. It's a good paying job for like an entry-level job. I'll say that not a lot of entry-level jobs pay what Sherwin Williams does, but you would just never know because you got paint stains all over you. And most people don't really respect it, to be honest. So it was pretty cool once I made the jump to real estate to like finally shake people's hands and have them go, oh, can I have your card? Because I wasn't getting that before. (laughs) So that's a little kind of like summary of what happened there. And then you ask, how did I get into real estate? I'll definitely dive into that here in a second. Was there anything there that that you want to touch in on? Maybe if I could try to pull out a piece of information, like what did you learn from being at Sherlin Williams? Because I agree with you on, it's kind of we look down on almost that as a society, which is a terrible thing because I've heard you talk about the skill sets and the leadership, the training that they really put you to that I think have helped you accelerate to where you are today and doing so many things. So maybe if there's anything we can kind of glean from that, that stuck out in your mind. The cool thing about Sherwin Williams, and I think a lot of other companies that I've seen enterprise be pretty good at this, and I'm sure Dell, like all all these big companies, they've got the training process down. They groom you very well. And so if you come in hungry into any of these companies wanting to grow, I mean, I went from went from like basically assistant manager to store manager in a very small frame of time. And then even upon the time when I was getting ready to leave the company, they gave me another offer. They didn't know I was getting ready to leave, but it was kind of like, dang, that was like the universe challenging me because I was getting ready to make this jump. Like, here's your dream job, Adam. They didn't know. I was able to move up very quickly. And I think that's something that I did notice about Sherwin Williams is if you are a hard worker, they do honor that. They do respect that. You kind of prove to your the people above you what the advice is. I think you're bringing out a good point because I tell people all the time as they're coming into W2 and corporate world, like this might not have been the thing that you put on your career, career day that you said you wanted to do kind of thing, sell paint or rent cars or things like that. But at the end of the day, these companies become the way they are because they understand business and they understand how to manage processes and people and get stuff done. And I used to joke about it with one of my old VPs because he left to go run a, a startup company of 20 people. He's like, it prepared me for that. It prepared me like I hear the book Traction a lot and I've read book Traction. And to me, it's a good book. And if you haven't read it, go read it kind of thing. But to me, it's like, this is how I live my everyday work life. Like Mm. you set goals, you track the goals, you have weekly meetings around the goals and things like that. So for anybody out there that's, you know, trying to struggle with, is this the right role for me and things like that, I would encourage them to think through what are the skill sets that I can get from this job that will propel me personally and professionally for the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So how did you get into real estate from, from Sherlyn Williams? Yeah. Oh, and by the way, when I was at Sherwin, like, again, I was all out for this company. Anyone who knew me would be like, oh, Adam Carswell, Sherwin Williams. Like, I tell people that if you slip my wrists when I was working there, paint would come out because I was recruiting anyone I could. I recruited my brother and sister to the company. I think during my two years there, I like brought 15 people on board. I'm like, this is the best place ever. Woo! <laughs> but with all that being said, there was a time where someone that I worked with was like, yeah, you know, I'm working on my real estate license. And I was like, wait, what? Like, that's actually like some, you're actually thinking about doing something outside of Sherwin Williams. Like, how could you even imagine that? Like, this is, again, this is the best place ever. Why would you want to even do that? It's funny looking back on it, but that stuck with me when they said that they were working on their real estate license. And then I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad twice. Like many of us, that was kind of like my first red pill. And so after I read that book, 
I started working on my license. And then as I started working on my license, I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to leave. <laughs> I think I'm going to just jump into this entrepreneurial space of real estate as soon as I can. And so I put together, you know, like a six month plan, saved up some money looking back on it. I think like most anyone in my shoes probably wish that we saved, saved up more than we actually did, but you know, pulled the trigger and got into real estate through residential broker Remax in McLean, Virginia. Shout out to Andrew Reamer, who was really my first real estate mentor and someone I look up to tremendously to this day. I got to reach out to him soon. So <laughs> Yeah. And that's a perfect transition because I think the thing that you are the superpower of superpowers master of is finding mentors and building your network. So could you tell us like, and I've heard you mention Andrew before, I feel like I know him just because of you're talking about him. How did you find a mentor like that? How did you add value to him so he could add value to you? Talk us through the process there and the importance of maybe finding a mentor. It's so funny how like things come together because as I was working on my real estate license, you know, it's funny. Actually, I remember I had access to the MLS at the time, but I had no idea how to use it. Oh, so actually looking at it, I take that back. I already had my license, but I had just gotten it. I didn't know how to search the internet as a realtor yet. So I actually went on like apartments.com or something and was trying to find a new place to live with my brother and my friend who were in the DC area and put in like an application to just go check out this property with someone. His name was Alex Kobarov. Alex and I met up, we got lunch because he actually, I found out he just got his real estate license too and get to know each other. And he's like, yeah, my broker, you know, he's long story short, he's like, he's the man. He, you know, he has a band, he has like all these different companies. He runs the real estate brokerage. Like, you know, he's only 34 and he's, you know, made his first million when he was 27 or 28. I'm like, dude, I want to be like that guy. Can you introduce me to him? <laughs> so he introduced me to Drew. And honestly, Remax is known, for, as far as I know, Remax is known for not really bringing on like new agents. Like they want people who are like seasoned real estate professionals because they don't want a rookie like me coming in there making them look bad. Thankfully, they let me in. <laughs> but it's funny because Alex Kobarov, who I just randomly basically met off of like, you know, apartments.com became someone who I worked very closely with at that office. And then we also became roommates later and we're still really good friends. So that's like how that all just came together. I, uh, you know, couldn't really have planned it out, but it was, it was cool. And I can start telling you how I got to the commercial side. Cause really the, since getting to this side of things, it's just like, I haven't really even paid much attention to the residential. Yeah. And I know that's super important. And one of the things I, I love about you is how you're able to grow your network, because as we look at the commercial space and as you made that transition, commercial is more of a team sport, I would say. Like residential, you can do a lot of that stuff yourself. You can surf the Zillow and Realtor.com and all that kind of stuff, put in offers by yourself. Contracts are pretty standard across the board. But as you start getting into the commercial space and you're raising funds and doing due diligence and legal work and creative financing and things like that, it is more of a team sport. So I guess talk to us a little bit about how you were able to find some groups out there to grow your knowledge base, but also grow your network. When getting into Remax, I did have interest in getting into commercial, but the only thing that I could wrap my mind around was like the transactional side of things, like commercial brokerage. It's like, okay, if I want to get into commercial real estate, that's the answer. And at some point, I would, oh, you know what? So it was 2017. And that's when the first like really big cryptocurrency buzz first kicked in. And so I'm like, man, I'm just going deep on Bitcoin three, four years ago, trying to figure out like, what is this? Why is everyone talking about it? How is it going to change the world? Why is it as good as everyone's saying? Why does the government hate it? Like things like that. And I found this very, you know, I would say 
anarchist podcast that I still frequently, not frequently, but every now and then I'll listen to called, called Anarchast by Jeff Berwick. And Jeff has all different kinds of people on the show and Hunter and I will joke about it. Like, I think the person that was on the show before Hunter was like a, a, someone who has a theory on flat earth. So it's like, <laughs> you can just get any different kind of people on the show. And all of a sudden Hunter pops up on here, which is like probably the first person I ever saw on the show, with like a nice clean cut shirt and everything. And he's talking about commercial real estate. He's talking about investing in mobile home parks and self-storage. And I was just like, wow. I never thought of any of this before. And I just had a moment that actually I want to document this now before I forget. I'll never forget when I first met Hunter, I was like trying to add as much value as I could to his life. But I knew that I didn't really have any like investors or anything in my database. But I did, I was able to introduce him to Drew Reamer, my other mentor. And I'll never forget, I was sitting in the in the office, the Remax office, and Drew walked by and he's like, hey, I, I talked to you know, your buddy Hunter, the Hunter guy you introduced me to. He's like, Whatever you do, like keep make sure you keep hanging out with people like that. Like I'll never forget Drew said that actually. Now that I think about it, <laughs> and so I just you know I kept following up with Hunter like, hey, like I want to learn more. And then eventually he bailed the first round of the uh, Cashflow Connections mentorship program. And I'll never forget you know him reaching out saying, hey, do you want to be a part of this program I just put together? I instantly said yes. And just haven't really looked back since getting mentored by Hunter. He brought me into his circle, and we can get kind of get into that. But you know Hunter's how I met Michael Flight, who I mentioned earlier in this call. And we're having a lot of fun at ASIM Capital right now. Yeah, I mean, the main thing I'm taking away from that is really surround yourself with people that you want to be like or a little bit more successful than you or three steps ahead of you and things like that. And I think one thing that 2020, I heard Dave Chappelle talk about this one time. He's like, man, we're all locked in our room. We're all locked in our house. You better like your things. You better like the person you married. You better like all these different things because you're stuck with them now. And it really kind of clicked to me at that point when I think I like my friend group and things like that, but how do I surround myself with people that are on the same path, on the same direction, are constantly pushing for me? And at the end of the day, when I started investigating like masterminds and things like that, the price tag shocked me. It was very high. But then I started thinking about like, well, what's the other side of that? What's the other side if I don't do this? If I do do this and it's a waste of time, I've wasted X amount of dollars. If I don't do this and I save X amount of dollars, what am I giving up to my potential self, my potential future self? So that's one of the things I've heard you talk about surrounding yourself in mastermind groups and really growing your network that's inspired me to kind of take those leaps and to be a part of some of these groups and knowing that some of them aren't going to work out. But for the most part, if you can get one or two connections out of that, it'll pay itself dividend many, many times forward. Yeah, it's crazy. Investing in education and coaching is probably being able to pull the trigger on that is probably one of the most valuable skills or things that someone can do. Because I look back, I'll, I'll just throw this out here right now too. I mean, we have the mentorship program. We can talk details, but long story short, the price tag on it is $4,500 a quarter. And when I first took the course, I think it was like two grand. I mean, we've really scaled the program since I started too. There's a lot more bells and whistles, but thinking that 2016 or 17, yeah, 2017 that I paid two grand to invest in myself. And it's gotten me basically to, if you look at the return on investment, it's insane. I don't know how many hundreds or thousands of percentage it is, but that $2,000 investment, I've definitely made more than two grand since working with Hunter, put it that way. Yeah. And it's no number that can be quantified before you do it. But as somebody that recently took the leap and, and is starting to do that, I can tell you it's paid itself many times over for me, and I'm just two months into it and here into 2021. You mentioned blockchain, Bitcoin, and everything like that. So first of all, you're going to be an expert on this topic. I'm still learning a lot more about blockchain and things like that. But first, can you help our listeners understand what is blockchain? Yeah, fantastic question. And I guess I want to just start by saying 
I am, I would not consider myself a blockchain expert. I would consider myself someone who knows a lot of people who know more than me. So don't take any of this as advice. It's more like just uh, my opinion. So the cool thing about blockchain technology that everyone's kind of gravitating towards is how the technology at fundamentally is decentralized. A lot of other ways that information is exchanged and shared, whether it's money or podcasts or, I mean, for example, the internet is something that's definitely decentralized information. You used to have to go to a library before to get it and who's controlling what comes in and out of the library. I don't know. But so same with blockchain, what we're seeing is now there's no need for someone in between the two people who are basically doing business or the group of people who are working together. Everything is fully transparent. It's out there. I think the common term that you'll hear is like the general ledger is public. So it's the reason why it's it's getting so popular is because it's increasing the speed of business and the level of transparency, regardless of what industry you're in. If blockchain is involved, likely you're going to see more transparency and less people trying to sneak and do things like that, which is kind of funny because the whole stigma on Bitcoin is that like, you know, people were being sneaky with it. <laughs> but when you look at the fundamentals of it, this is where it's coming from. Yeah, I think. I'm going to try an analogy of the decentralization. That's the biggest trend over the next 10 years is how we are decentralizing everything in the world. So if you think about the way we used to communicate right now, the way we used to be, you used to be the studio executive. I'd have to ask you to come on your show. You got the chance to deny or say yes or no and all that kind of stuff. And today now we get to have this interaction. But the key to the way I think blockchain is is an interesting technology is now it's distributed across multiple different layers for everybody to have access to that. So while we might be doing this over a podcast, I'm then going to take that and put it on YouTube, take snapshots of it and put it on Facebook. So there is proof that this interaction happened and these kind of things. And I think that's what blockchain really is, is it's tracking the way a transaction happens. So there's no real, first of all, centralized place to go to it, but there's no dispute over what where that thing came from or the transaction previously before it is today. Very well said. Very well said. We should just take that whole clip and then it, put it on YouTube. It's like, does anyone need to know what blockchain is? Boom. This is, watch this video. I'm not an expert either. I play a poor one on a podcast and a poor one on YouTube. But <laughs> so how does this fit into real estate? Tell us a little bit about like what you guys are doing over at the Liberty Fund and what that, how this really plays in. Yeah. And I would highly encourage again, anyone, well, you could follow up with me directly if you want to, but I'd, I'd want to put you in touch with our team over at Liberty Fund because we just have so many educational resources in regards to explaining how this is going to go hand in hand with real estate. It's only a matter of time, really, before everything becomes digitized, like from real estate. I mean, you name any industry, I would love to hear an argument where something's not going to eventually become some way digital. So the cool thing about real estate, and this is why, again, Michael Flight, our CEO at Liberty Fund, he was recently at a, a family office conference in Dubai and was meeting with individuals from London, from Singapore, from you know, various European countries, Dubai, obviously that was like the big pull. Oh, and even Africa. What, what I'm getting at is now for the first time ever, investors that want to invest in US real estate will be able to do so essentially from the comfort of their, from their palm. That's the simple way of putting it. There's still a lot of technicalities to it, a lot of legal things that need to be worked through. And we are very much pioneers in this case. I mean, we're working with firms that have done this in Europe and in Asia, but again, we're we're the first ones in the U.S. And everyone knows the U.S. regulation is probably one of the most stringent in the world. But long story short, we're going to be able to provide you know, investment opportunities for international investors to U.S. real estate, as well as U.S. investors as well. 
And this has just never been done before. It's never really been able to be accomplished, but through the power of blockchain and a security token, which is different than a cryptocurrency, because a security token is actually backed by a real asset, like a McDonald's, like Chipotle, like a CVS. <laughs> so that's the cool piece about it. It's a security token on the blockchain that's backed by a real asset, real tangible asset. And um, as I mentioned, yeah, I mean, there are some companies and firms out there doing this, but as far as in our space, with single net, single tenant, triple net lease assets, we are, you know, we're bringing it to the marketplace and we're really excited about it. And again, the fund may be open by the time you hear this message. That's awesome. That's why I was so excited about this conversation because you see the cyclicality of the way old business is done by being a frontier in real retail investments. And you're seeing the new future of blockchain and you're being the front end of that. So you're mirroring two together, two huge cycles, and you're going to be an innovator there. I want to switch gears on you because I think you may be the only person I ever have on this show that is a co-founder of their own country. And it's super interesting. <laughs> what is Liberland? And I want you to tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, thanks for giving me the opportunity to speak about Liberland. This is like, you know, it's all about finding your tribe right now and finding people that you see the world through the same lens as. And this country is nothing short of that. I have to take a step back because anyone who's a Liberlandian listening to this message right now is probably chuckling because I'm not technically a co-founder. I think I did see some literature out there that labeled me a co-founder and I, I didn't write it. So I couldn't, I was like, whatever, we'll just leave it up. I am the host of the Liberland show, which is our country's podcast. And the show has performed very well. And it's helped get the name of Liberland out there around the world in a way that not a lot of our media has. So I think because I come across as an authority on country and the topic that some might think I'm a co-founder. Now, President Yadlichka, actually, I have a Liberland phone call coming up later today. We have an international team call every Tuesday um, at three. So I don't know if I'm supposed to put that information out there, but oh, well, whatever. <laughs> if you guys want to get on the international call, let me know. I work very closely with our president, with our vice president, secretary of state, minister of foreign affairs. We're all very good friends. And it's just cool to be in an environment that you again, with people who are changing the world in the way that you see the change to be the best. And really sticking to the decentralized topic, that's kind of like the whole concept behind Liberland is it's the first ever country built on blockchain technology. The entire governance model is very decentralized. The voting process completely decentralized, which I think some countries are trying to adopt right now, but we really see what we're doing as pioneers and the opportunity to show the world that there's a better way to do things. And I think really, you know, our motto this is not actually the country's motto, but in general, everyone's a very, a very firm believer that the less government involvement in all scenarios, the better. <laughs> so first of all, where is Liberland? Liberland is a very small piece of land between Croatia and Serbia. It's on the Danube River. It's about, I want to say three, no more than three or no more than three or four square miles. I want to say it might even be like four or five. I'm, I'm trying to make it sound bigger than it is as far as land. It might even be four square kilometers. But yeah, founded in 2015 by President Yedlichka, who is originally from the Czech Republic. And their long story short, there was a hiccup after the Yugoslavian war and after Croatia, Serbia, Slovenia. I'm actually Slovenian too, which is kind of cool because then I got like my actual like real roots tied to this whole project in a way. So Slovenia, Croatia, Serbia, all those different countries used to be one, used to be Yugoslavia. Then there was lines <clears throat> drawn in the sand after the war. And there's a small piece of land, Liberland, that basically Croatia had legally and publicly came out and said, this is not ours. This is Serbia. And then Serbia came out in a similar manner and said, this isn't our land. This is Croatia's. And so our president caught that 
and through international law legally went down there and said, I claim this land as Liberland, the free Republic of Liberland. And there has been since that moment, Serbia has also made a public statement saying that they acknowledge that as Liberland, which is a step in the right direction. I don't know if anyone out there knows anything about starting up a country. The United States took what, how many hundred, <laughs> how many decades before it first became a country? So, you know, we, we're new and we get every now and then we get haters saying, oh, you guys are crazy and that type of thing. But the amount of progress that's been made for Liberland in a five span of five years, or even the past year, kind of thanks to the whole tech boom that we just saw, is pretty impressive. You know, we've got 90 different representatives from different countries around the world. The country continues to grow. We have e-residency. We have citizenship. It's really cool. So to be in kind of the middle of that, having podcast interviews about the topic has been a real blessing. I was a poli-sci major in college. So you see my wheels spinning over here because I've got hours of questions I want to ask you about all this. I don't think we have enough time today. (laughs) Go check out the show because it's super interesting. And you guys are doing some interesting, cool things over there. And I support the effort of making your own country. The last piece I want to touch on before we get into our final round here is that you are doing next level webinar series this year. You're doing 52 of them, and I've gotten to be a part and watch some of them in the past. And you've got everybody talking about real estate to leadership to trade routes in China and all different kinds of things. First of all, tell our listeners where they can find and sign up for that. But then second of all, I want you to kind of share some insights of things that you're learning and seeing from bringing all these people together from diverse topics to to speak on this webinar series. Yeah. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to speak about it. So if you're interested in learning more about Next Level Webinars, we're on a mission to produce 52 of these webinars in 2021 and very likely will be something that continues from there. I kind of joke to myself, this is a little secret, but I guess I'll share it here. I kind of want next level webinars to get to a level where it's like the virtual version of TED Talks. Like I don't even need to really necessarily be, I can't remember the last time I watched a TED Talk and I even saw Ted. Who is Ted? I haven't seen him in a while. (laughs) You know, so I want to get my face away from it and just let it become this platform that people can get their message out there. So anyways, 52 this year, you can send an email to nextlevel at carswell.io. Just put webinars in the subject line. We'll get you on board, get you uh, what I call the next level webinar menu where you can take a look at all the nice treats that we got coming up this year, one of which is going to be a webinar by Matt, which we're really looking forward to. So I think key takeaways from it, I mean, one, first of all, we've talked about a lot of things here on the show. You know, I just finished reading The One Thing by Gary Keller, which I've been slowly digesting just because of how big of a good of a book it is. And, you know, this webinar production thing really has become my one thing. And it's been tough. You can hear like I'm doing like a lot of different things technically, but I really have identified next level webinars to be my one thing. I want you guys to remember Adam Carswell, that's the next level webinar guy. So thank you. And then key takeaways. I think the biggest one so far is it's been fun. I don't know, I guess it sounds corny, but it's been fun adding a lot of value to every one of my guests' lives. Like everyone comes on the comes to the webinar. A lot of them don't really know what to expect at first. It's been fun coaching them through the process of like, this is what we need to do here. We need to do this. We need to do this. We need to meet. And then I think my favorite part is watching the replay perform. And then one cool hack that I'll give to anyone out there, if you're looking to kind of replicate or do something similar, is either doing it yourself or finding someone, for example, on Fiverr. We have someone in-house who's an intern for me that, that does this. But chopping up the you know 45 to 60 minute presentation and pulling out the little two, three, you know, one, two, three minute clips that are really powerful. When you give that to whoever you just worked with, you've just provided them, you know, we try to send them anywhere from 10 to 14 clips. So you've just provided them with two weeks worth of content that they didn't really even have to work hard for. And I think that's a big piece of the value add in doing this and serving whoever you're working with comes from. So Matt, I mean, get ready. You're going to get some extra content after we go that you won't have to do the work for. 
And yeah, I think that's probably one of my favorite parts is delivering that like final package of goodies. <laughs> As most of our listeners know, this isn't what I do full time in full time job. I work at a W2 in corporate America. So this is all new for me. This is all learning process for me. And it was a super valuable skill for me to go learn because this is the way we communicate moving forward. Right. And you have been the most helpful person in helping me understand and see the process in action that I'm eternally grateful for. So I think the next level webinar has not only refined your skills, but you're giving, you're sending the elevator back down. You're giving people like me an opportunity to learn how to be like you. So I'm super appreciative of that. And one of my life goals is to be on a TED Talk. But since you are going to be the new TED Talk, I'm going to replace that with a next level talk. So I'm super grateful for that. Adam, this has been great for me. I want to switch into our last round here of five questions we ask everyone. The first one is, what is your favorite book or something you've read recently that's really stuck out to you? When you sent this over earlier, I was like, okay, I'm going to say the one thing because I just read it. I just put out an article on it too. I'll make sure I get you that link because I think it, obviously I'm a little biased, but I think it's a pretty good article. <laughs> so yeah, we'll, we'll stick with the one thing. I highly recommend it. I think if you've read that book, just go back and reread it. Definitely give you some new inspiration. And my key takeaway was probably, you know, the domino effect. It was the one thing you need to do every day to move the needle forward. And the domino theory is that a domino can knock over a domino 50% bigger than the original one. And so if you just get this line of dominoes going, by the time you get to day 57, Technically, it's, it goes from two inches to basically the distance to the moon, right? <laughs> so what's the one thing you can do every day to move the needle forward? Zone in on that. 100%. And I felt like for the past two weeks that I've been drowning in quicksand, and I've had to revisit that concept myself and say, wait a second, what am I doing here? I'm busy, but I'm not productive. What are the two, one, two, three things that I really need to focus on to kind of move the needle forward using that concept? So that's great. The next thing is, I believe the person you are 10 years from now is directly correlated to things that you do today and the habits that you have. What is something that you do every single day? Yes. Good question. This is probably the one when you sent it over. I was like, wait, what should I put here? <laughs> I think that ideally, you know, I don't do it every day, but getting on stage and speaking like this, like this, being in this environment, I do feel very confident. You know, this is my calling. This is where I was meant to be. And so, you know, I'm not necessarily getting on stage speaking every day, but if I could, I think I, I probably would. It's one thing that I, I would find very hard to imagine that I would get tired of doing. Anyone who knows me, they know I like to talk and, and get the camera going. So I would say, yeah, speaking, publicly speaking every day is, I might be falling a little bit short on that, but pretty close to it. Yeah. As someone that's recently been brought into your circle, you have so much value to give that it's a shame for you not to speak every day and give us some of that value. So <laughs> I'm, you, I'm really appreciative of that. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? I don't know about ever, but I've got one coming to top of mind right now, which I've been implementing as soon as I heard it. I want to give a big thank you to my buddy, Logan Freeman. I don't know where he heard this one, but he shared it publicly somewhere as well. Oh, you know what? He shared it at the 5 million in 30 day summit that we did over at ASIM Capital. And it was the theory that whatever you do, don't ask for opinions. Don't ask for feedback, especially if it's someone that you look up to and you maybe want to potentially work with. Always ask for advice. It's a little bit of a psychological trick, if you will, but it's very powerful and I wouldn't consider it a trick. So basically, when you're asking someone for advice, all of a sudden, they feel a part of your journey. When you say, what's your opinion or can you give me feedback? Sometimes people are going to be a little bit afraid to be critical or 
it kind of just, for whatever reason, I can't explain it, but it kind of just draws this line in the sand. But when you ask someone for advice, like you told me after we're done with this call that you're going to ask for some advice and, you know, looking at it is like, I'm going to feel more a part of the ice cream with investors future by you asking me for advice instead of what was your opinion or your feedback. Heck yeah. So the best piece of advice you've ever had is to ask people for advice. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Two more questions. What's the thing you're most proud of in your life? I would say my faith. I want to give a big thank you to my parents who, man, I I mean, I had a blessed, very, very, very blessed life life as a child. And sometimes it it kind of, I don't want to say bugs me, but you know, you want to be able to provide this story to the world, especially as a speaker that, you know, you're just like everyone else that you came from hard times and, you know, this and that. And I definitely have been through some serious struggles in my life when I was, you know, six years old, lost a little brother. I never forget one time in Belize, I was hustling, I was grinding, like I had like five bucks Belize to my name, which was like 250 US. So like I had like some hard times, but on top of all that, man, like my parents just did a fantastic job raising me and my siblings. And they did that through the principles of Christianity. You know, you see the cross in my logo. No, I'll be the first one to tell you, I don't really, I prefer not to associate almost with, with any type of label, whether it's religion, whether it's politics, whatever it is, you know, I've got a, a vlog called Untitled. Because <laughs> I'm all about living your life untitled. So I wouldn't necessarily be the first one out there to tell you like, oh yeah, like I'm a Christian, let's go to church next Sunday. But like that, the message and the story of, of Jesus is definitely uh, resonates through me. And I know that whenever I'm in a point in life where I don't know what to do, which happens quite frequently, <laughs> you just say, dear God, show me the way. And it always works out. So faith is key. I love that. When I interview people, I always ask them, what do you do every single day that humbles you? Because this life is going to humble you. And if you can't humble yourself, then chances are something else is going to humble you for you. And I want to know you're prepared for it. The best answer I ever got, though, was faith, like having faith because you've come closer and then you go further away. And it's always about trying to get that stronger relationship with whatever your deity is or whatever you believe in is. And I thought that was one of the best answers I'd ever heard. So love that. Last question. If you could sit down and eat a bowl of ice cream with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? I immediately thought to Russell Brunson, you know, his teachings in a way have really basically been like, you know, the gospel of business to me in my life over the past few years. I found out about him through Hunter. And there's just so many things that we practice at ASIM that are through the lens of how Russell views the world. A, A very successful leader. You know, what I admire the most is he puts family first. There's a lot of other marketing guys out there who are also giving fantastic advice, but, you know, they're dropping F-bombs every couple sentences and just nothing wrong with that. Like I joked with my buddy, Austin Lenny, who's kind of, I call him Gary B. Jr. And like, you know, I dropped a few swear words on his show, but I mean, I just look at how Russell's doing it. He's fantastic. The amount of lives that he's impacted just continues to grow. And so it'd be cool to, to sit down with him. Anyone who's passed away, um, With all of the different things that you do, I doubt it will be hard to find you if somebody wanted to reach out. But if somebody wanted to reach out and connect with you, what is the best place to find you and connect with you? Yeah, best way, I'm going to direct traffic to my website, which is carswell.io. There's definitely a way to get in touch with me there. And actually, it's got all my social media links on it. It's got a messaging form. So if you do send a message on the website, that will go directly to my email and I'll be able to, to get back to you from there. So carswell.io, that's the centralized way to get a hold of me. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, Adam, fantastic conversation. There's so much more we didn't get to dig into, specifically how to fund that found your own country and what that process really looks like and how you're growing that. But I appreciate the time. I know our listeners appreciate all the knowledge bombs that you dropped. And I'm looking forward to having you back on in the future at some point. 
Absolutely, Matt. Thank you so much for having me. And again, thank you for doing your homework. Not everyone goes as deep with having their guests as you do. And I know it's, it's a lot of work. It's hard work. And the fact that you're pulling this off while doing so many other things as well is very impressive. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to Ice Cream with Investors. If you like what we serve you here, it would mean the world to me if you would like, subscribe, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app.